Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the DM. So come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all-round good time that comes with this great activity. The cast is Elbrum, a male Asmar warlock with his pixie-familiar Sill. The affable Mick, who plays Calidus Magnus Lunior, a male elf-marked wizard. Saber, the binary gear-forged paladin, whose maker had a sense of humor when placing his soul gem. And the charming Oraki, hailing from the Kuru tribe of Dabu, a female Knoll cleric following a vision. The campaign setting is the Southlands from Cobalt Press. We're using the D&D 5e rule set and we game using the Fantasy Grounds virtual tabletop. So that's the cast. That's the campaign. Now, welcome to the show. In this episode, Mick and I talk about why do players want experience points? Should more XP be rewarded for excellent role-playing of intelligent and stupid? If a clever player solves a puzzle, should he be rewarded less or more experience points when his intelligence and wisdom stats are low, like 6? Sorry buddy, no XP for solving that puzzle. You're supposed to be stupid. Wow, kind of a schmuck move, eh? To gain levels, is D&D more about solving puzzles or about fighting creatures? What is better to give XP against? Our story continues as the Grey Company heads to their new studio apartment overlooking the River Nuria. Here they have a meeting with Lieutenant Mehmet, the Princess Karima, and Onka. Each of these NPCs questions Kalidus. Good sir, why haven't you opened your box? His response? Mick breaks the fourth wall. Shortly after, they board the sand ship called the Falcon's Blessing. Captain Bubbles has the ship underway quickly, but not before the harbor master Bonita spews expletives. The Grey Company is failing hard at being persuasive. So what should I do to keep the story moving when the players are failing their roles? The NPC Hazi questions the Grey Company and Elbrum spins a web of deceit. Calidus wants to help weave the web. He pipes up and unweaves everything. So then, what has the Grey Company decided? Are they going to help their benefactor, the Princess Karima? Or does Onka's mission have more priority? The Pallet Court needs their help too, and Elbrum feels something pulling at his soul. Which mission sways them? Do you want to know more? Then sit back, stay tuned, and enjoy. So once again, I'm here with Mick, and we are talking about what happened last session. But before we get into what happened last session, we were having... When Mick Mick and I get together, we tend to talk about a lot of things. At this point, we are discussing uh, some things that happened in in the Westmarch-style campaign. And recently, we had... We were just talking about rewarding experience points. And in the campaign, I had one new player 
who solved the. I mean, it's, it's, it's usually West Marches is very ad lib. The dice decide what happens when the people are exploring and enter that hex. And they found this this well. And one guy actually figured out what I, after I rolled the dice, I had something in mind for it. And one guy managed to figure out the clues. You know, as a GM, you try to subtly introduce a few ideas as, as subtly as possible and then see where they go. And this one guy managed to figure it out. And so the question was, well, do you, how do you reward XP? Do you reward XP based on killing creatures or do you reward XPs on things like, well, they solved the puzzle and yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely for that. So they, in this, in this particular session, there was five of them. They encountered a bunch of different things of those encounters, whether or not they fought or not, there will be XP rewarded for it. So if they encountered, let's say they encountered a bunch of hobgoblins. If they fought the hobgoblins, there'd be this XP. If they didn't fight the hobgoblins, but managed to effectively handle that encounter, either by combat or not, uh, they can still get the same XP. And sometimes if they do something diplomatic, that makes sense. Like within West Marches, you're growing a civilization. So diplomatically having a, a conversation with another race that can aid you in growing and expanding Sometimes that the reward for that I find should be better. So there's experience points rewarded for that. And then there's also things like maybe ties into some minor subplots. How do you handle that? And do you reward XP for that? So yeah, actually this one guy who figured out that this particular object that I'd introduced, they had specific meaning and the other guys, they didn't figure it out, but this guy did. And this wasn't from him and his skill sets being, oh, I'm really high in intelligence and I'm doing some roles and that, that's how I figured out. I mean, he was just a clever guy and figured out. <laughs> that does tie back to what I wanted to talk about, which is your scores. We had, This is a conversation Nick and I had, had previously, which was about how do you play stupid or how do you play really, really smart? And it's, it, it does have bearing because, you know, recently we had one guy who had an intelligence of six which means, you know, he's not bright and he has difficulty communicating. So how do you role play that? What do you do when you want to role play that? And it, it is a challenge. And then when you do come into a situation like this, can a person who has a six intelligence figure out a mystery behind an object that they discover? And if he does, how do you role play that being stupid? So let's disassemble that into a whole lot of, Contrary situations. Most players, he says, generalizing, want experience points because they beat the, they win in the fight. Um, a smaller group of players will want experience points just because they've been playing for a week and they figure they, they're due to get some. And then an even tinier percentage, I think, will want experience points because they solved the puzzle. The game itself is not designed to work on solving puzzles. It's, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. So, and I find that to be an issue. I actually think that if you're going to give out experience points, it should be the other way around. You should get lots of experience points for solving the puzzle because you have to use your brains rather than your brawn. And you get a minimal amount of, of experience points for killing the creature because generally all combat is designed to allow the players to win anyway. The and the next, on the other side of that, you of course get the contradiction, which is that if a player does have an intelligence of six, but the person that's playing that character solves the puzzle, 
I actually can't say I've solved the puzzle because their character has an intelligence of six. Or, or how do they role play it and get the other players to see that they, that you know the answer? Yeah, without... yeah. And that, that's a trick. And, and and again, that would be a masterful piece of role playing. I've discovered what the secret is. I now I have an intelligence of six, and I now have to convey to you, without telling you the answer, as my team member, what it really is. Well, and, and here's the tricky thing for the GM too, because. I know I look at things like passive perception a lot and I, I kind of have something that I call passive insight as well because, you know, one thing is uh, I see this creature, but what does their body language mean? So you could, yes, you might be able to see the creature before the other people do, but is it threatening or not? And that's where I use it, insight. But one thing I, I have ignored because I sit there and think about this, this is why we're coming here is the guy who solved the, prop, the puzzle I never even considered to look at should he have been able to solve the puzzle role playing wise because that potentially is this is what you're talking about this is the factor I just accepted that he solved the puzzle and I I'm going to reward him for that then the thing is is oh wait a minute role playing wise geez he's only got an intelligence of eight let's ignore the role playing part and go back to the where do you sit in terms of solving the puzzle the current game that we're playing that we'll talk about later on there are. Four people, we had a conversation last week, and the general consensus is they're not really that interested in fighting. They find the intrigue, the puzzle, the diplomacy far better than the fight. As a DM, do you think players should be rewarded more for their ability to play the game, or do you think they deserve experience points just for fighting? Well, And this is as a DM, not in the context of all the people. No, well, I'm sitting here thinking about our campaign specifically. And originally I was of the the point of, okay, you need to actually resolve something in order to earn that level. So a lot of people say, okay, you play one session, you've made it to level two. Yeah. And I'm just like, well... We, when we first started out, you guys must have played about six sessions before you solved the mystery, and at which point I was like, okay, yes, you definitely deserve level two. Because my thinking was, it doesn't make much sense to me that you just get a level like that because you've killed 20 goblins. I can understand why people are going to say that, but I, I really thought, well, okay, you killed 20 goblins, but so what? The mystery was, what has happened with this thing? Did you find this thing? Okay, you encountered 20 goblins. Well, A, why did I as a GM introduce those 20 goblins? Did did it further the plot line? But at at one point I realized that, okay, you guys were trying to solve this next bit. And to solve this next bit, well, there were creatures there and I was using the module. And I realized that, crap, the fact is you guys would die. You just, there's no way for you guys to get through, through this. So I was like, okay, solving the mystery alone can't be it. You have to sit there and, and find and, and say, okay, there's a middle ground here too, where I'm just going to start rewarding them this. So I, I, I did ignore, do they deserve it? Because I needed the, you guys to be at a certain level in order to get through certain things. And the next bunch of things were fairly advanced and you guys were still really, really low in level. So I was like, okay, you haven't finished things, but yes, you've, you've made it to level three. But if you consider this that's based on the module, and the module says that you start by fighting goblins and you end at level 20 by fighting dragons. You don't have to fight dragons. No. You could fight goblins all the way through. You would never need to progress from level one. Yeah. And, and nothing would change. In, in the concept of the game, yeah. the, by levelling up, you get to fight bigger and stronger creatures. 
the game doesn't change. You still need to solve the puzzles on yes. the way through or you won't get to the other side. Yes. So but, well, there is, is an argument that says that the, the, the actual creature that you fight is irrelevant to the whole game. Let's take very specifically what happened on Thursday where, where uh, Kalanis and Elgrim were meeting Hazi from the GFA. Now, Elgrim was going in this direction and he was having this com- conversation with this fellow in order to get you guys into the archaeological site uh, on behalf of the Pallet Court. And Kalanis would pipe up because he was thinking, oh, I can do this and I can do this. And in, in this scenario, I was sitting there thinking, okay, I know where you're going from. I know where Kalidus is coming from and Elbrum is coming from, what direction it is. But if I am playing Hazi, who is the leader of this big archaeological site, so he, he's a boss and he's got a mindset. He, he has something going on. And this other guy, so I know you're role-playing and you're saying something to another person in role-play. So I'm like, okay, Mick is role-playing Kalidus and he's saying this to, I think you were saying it to Oraki or something yeah, like this. This is sort and of a like, side well, conversation. Has he does hear this, right? Because you guys are all in this area. So how would Hazi react to that? So this is a scenario where, okay, yes, you could, in theory, manage to diplomatically get through a bunch of things because you guys are smart. But sometimes you don't know the motivations behind those other NPCs. And so you might say something that might be a trigger. A trigger. And from my point of view, is like, yes, I want you to survive, but I've got to be true to who this character is so that it's more real for you guys. It's not just, oh, well, the DM is letting us get by some kind of stuff. Because sometimes it probably is going to seem that way. Actually, it, it, and when you look at, there was a, a point where it was clear that we were all rolling crap in this game. Yeah, when you guys were doing perception checks and I was just like... Oh, we kept rolling one. Yeah, you kept rolling and, 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 and it was the only time, it's the only time in a year now that I've caught you out actually fudging the rules so that we would actually get somewhere. Yeah, and I guys, thought that was quite creative because it wasn't it wasn't just a blatant lie. You actually had to spin this whole cock and bull story to allow us to acquire the next piece of information. And it's an interesting scenario because everybody knew what was going on. We knew that we hadn't rolled enough to know the answer. Yeah. You knew that there was no way that we would progress any further unless something gave. And you could sense that everyone's trying to figure out, I know I can't roll perception again or insight again. How can I come up with something that will allow me to get the next piece of the puzzle that I'm not really entitled to do? Yeah. And I think there must come a point in every, every DM's life where they get to that stage of you have to have the next piece of information Oh, you're not going to get there. You've rolled well, crap. What do I do? This is also tied back into the rewarding of XP because the thing is, is by leveling up, you get the ability to change modifiers, which means you get better rolling capabilities. Which, when you're when you're sitting there and you're thinking, how do I role play stupid or how do I role play really smart? Part of role playing really smart is you could be a, you could be a real life idiot, but how do you role play smart? You can't role play smart. But in this, but in this, but in this scenario, four four people have rolled ones and twos and threes. No amount of extra points is going to get them across the line to where they would have found out the answer. Yeah, and and that's right. I just I remember sitting there thinking, okay, (laughs) it was so Kalidus. You try to look and see (laughs) what's going on here, but you're still focused on this other stuff that happened earlier. 
you can't seem to concentrate. <laughs> so you're, it's like you're temporarily blind. Trying to figure out how to tie up my shoelace <laughs> while everybody else was trying to figure out what they had for breakfast. And then and somebody else. Very, yeah, someone else. Every, all of us ended up. And, and I, I do know that. I know some GMs would be like, okay, if you're going to roll perception, then you guys are not because it's not. Now it's like, well, look, but you guys are saying, all there. Yeah. And so if you were actively trying to say disable a trap, you can all be sitting there doing a perception check on the trap. One guy will be with his thieves toolkits investigating the trap. So it could be that the guys who are observing with their perception and if they roll well, maybe they notice something that the guy who's doing an investigation misses. Yeah. Now he might, so the, the, the guy who's doing an investigation will absolutely be the one who's going to disable it and solve it. But the guys who are doing perception, they'd be like, hey, was that thing there supposed to move when you were doing that? Yeah. So, you know, you can use both together. The point is, is that everybody is there. Their ability to see, they're here, to, to taste, all still matters. So I don't have a problem where you're like, do I perceive something? Do I perceive something? Do I perceive something? Yeah, that's not a problem. I'm not going to say you know, I, I, one person can perceive the other. No, I mean. And from a player point of view, it's the, it is much more creative when everybody rolls a perception check. And then you say, Calidus found this, Elrond found that. Iraqi was off in fairyland yeah. um, and Saber was sleeping in the corner. Yeah. Everybody then gets to do their own little thing with the bit that they saw. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's a good thing. Oh yeah. I, th I sure. think, yeah. But uh, still it comes down to, but if you get four ones out of four players, then the DM gets put on the spot. And I, I did love the way that in that particular scenario, you bounce back to the, the logo on the flag on the sail of the ship. Oh yeah, which, was, yeah. which I thought was a um, the Pallet Court logo. Yeah, yeah. So, so instead of you had to come up with a cock and bull story, and then it was like, that's that's right. So you're trying to convince things, and then all, all, you're trying to get this guy to let you guys through on this, and ultimately it was okay. You came in on this large sand ship flying the logo for the Pallet Court, and okay, looking at the logo, they're like, all right, yeah, maybe. <laughs> You may all have rolled ones, but we'll let you in anyway because the logo was pretty good. Yeah, well, and that's just it. I mean, the thing is, is, I was sitting there thinking, well, how do we do this? And, and I was like, well, everybody else is just standing there, and all of a sudden this large ship comes in, ostentatious and all this stuff, and these guys get off of it. Well, it's going to make a kerfuffle. Yeah. It's going to add some legit legitimacy to, to the things yeah. that you say. Yeah. And then what I really, really liked was that Elbrum was doing really well with his deception. And then Calidus tries to do something as well with his deception. <laughs> it rolls really terrible. crap. And so Elbrum is going, gaining ground, gaining ground. And Calidus says something. And then, you know, I'm role-playing this up. And then this, like, just he falls in a hole. As he kind of furrows his brow. And Elbrum's like, and, and I like how Elbrum role-played. He's like, Calidus, shut up. I got this. <laughs> Which again, and again, you know, the, the play was... Elbrum's the Lord. So. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was funny. I mean, I I really enjoyed that actually that session in terms of that was incredible. That was well done. It was really fun. And then at the very end too, the little bit of of joking around about the cod piece was was funny too. Interesting, isn't it? That that when you when you look at that, the the point that we got to was um, we had a great fun getting through that that session yeah. and role playing stuff. And then all of a sudden we're standing in front of what's obviously going to end up being a fight somewhere along the line. And no one's really enthusiastic about getting to the fight. Yeah. Well, it, it is know, a group of players who are not that keen to go in there and fight. And I have to admit, I, I did like, because you guys were in your brand new apartment and the, the question was, you were 
in the new apartment, you finally met Lieutenant Nemet. Yes. Karima was still there. And Onka, the representative of the dogs of Bestet, was there. Ultimately, you were presented with a number of scenarios that you guys had to do. Would you return to the Growland Sanctuary to continue no. after Calidus had nearly died to go and try to get to the next thing? Because you still needed to find the, left, the idol. Yeah. And Karima, I mean, Karima provided you with this beautiful apartment overlooking the river on the fact that you would do this. But then there was, you through dialogue, you guys had learned that perhaps something was actually going on with this pyramid. So do we do the pyramid? You also knew that the pallid court had wanted you guys to go and investigate this, this pool of blood. Yeah, we'd actually, this, this we, actually, yeah we, actually, we actually had role-played this out yeah. after you left last week and, and had come to the conclusion there was no way that we were going back into the ground century. Sat down, we'd thought about it. Elbram had decided that we were going to, that we should go to the blood pool. That's where we were going. And I'd said to him, I said, I don't want to go back there. We're just going to die. And it's all nothing but fighting. And I don't see a way that we can actually solve that, that problem or anything creative that we can do. And Elrond was of the same opinion. Iraqi was pretty much that. Then we got into conversation about how we like the puzzles rather than the fighting. <laughs> and then it was like, yep, we're not going back. And so that was it. And it wouldn't matter what you said. There was no way that we were going back. And that's something that you didn't know at that particular point in time. So it wouldn't have, we would have done anything other than Oh, because I had to leave. You had to leave to and, go and, and do something. I left until you guys had made this decision. Yeah. And that, that was funny because, like, yes, I was saying, well, you can go to the Growling Sanctuary. That's what Karima wants you to go. Um, wasn't, yeah. There is the, the pyramid, and, and Elbrum has been wanting to go to the pyramid for a while. I've been kind of foreshadowing that off and on. And then, of course, the Pallet Court wanted you to go to investigate this. So, I mean, from my point of view, it really didn't matter where you guys chose. I, I, I was comfortable enough with all, all three areas. It was if there was a fourth area, or no, there was a fourth yeah. area. The fourth area was let's go deal with Abdul Haq. Yeah. And uh, I didn't mind. Any of those four would have been fine. A fifth would have been a problem. Yeah, the floating temple was one that, that came to mind. We could go and do the floating temple because I thought that would be interesting. I, I've actually, I mean, now it's becoming a mind game because what's happening now is I think that the hat following on from the conversation is that there's a lot of entertainment that comes from throwing the DM out. Right. So what's happening is that I, I've, you know, I've told them that, that we do podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And that Stacey doesn't really plan. That the, the days of planning how this works are gone after his initial experience, which was plan everything down to the last detail, yeah. only to see it fly out the window in the first three minutes. Yeah. He basically has a list of names and addresses of various strange NPCs and places that you can go to. You'll pick one and he'll just make it up from there on, on the fly. <laughs> yeah, more often than that. And, and so the sillier we could invent something, the better off it would be. But I think we're all quite happy to be. The players are, players are actively trying to mess me up. Yeah, oh. well, part of what, I mean, and look, and it's not that bad a thing. If you think about from a, a DM point of view, when, you, when we look at the stuff that we see on, on the video podcasts, yeah. how often do we see DMs get dumped or get hit? have something thrown at them they didn't expect. There's a wonderful thing where, oh, what's the guy that does? Acquisitions Incorporated. Acquisitions Incorporated. So Chris Perkins? Chris Perkins is there. They have this flying ship over the top of oh, the castle. Yeah, yeah. They've got one player who can actually fire the weapon that will kill the dragon. Yeah. And he, and it's... Well, I think that was, that was, um, was Jim Dark Magic that was firing the weapon, wasn't I it? I thought it was Rothfuss. 
Pat Rothfuss. Pat Rothfuss. Um, and he jumped out of the jumped out of the ship onto the turret of the castle and the place exploded in hysterical laughter. Yeah. And you could almost see the blood drain from Chris Birkin's face because this wasn't something that they had planned. Yeah, yeah. And he caught it magnificently. He yeah. he 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 played it up. It was brilliant. And and from then on he he went back and gathered up, saved the day, the thing got sillier, funnier, everyone had a ball. It was a brilliant catch by, yeah. by yeah. DM. One of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, Chris does a good job with that. So that's, and I think that's part of it, is that the more we do this to you, the better you get, the more fun we have. Well, I have to admit, like, I, it, it was fun because you guys did come in there and I enjoyed what Calidus does. First thing he does is, how's our friend Captain Deuteronomy? And I was like, um, Mehmet lets you know that he's dead. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, what's Calidus? <laughs> actually, it is actually uh, part of this whole thing about, <laughs> yes, and you're trying to trip us up as well. Yeah. Um, and that one came out of nowhere. I must say, I wasn't expecting that because part of the thing was I'm thinking like, okay, the magic box has disappeared with all the goodies in it. Yep. You suggested that Captain Deuteronomy may have taken it. I thought I can run with and it. I, 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 and the next breath, you kill him. I, I really enjoyed too that when, uh, as you're walking up to your new place, I was just like, so Kareem was like, so why haven't you opened the box? Like, what's up with this box? You didn't open it. <laughs> and you met Mehmet and you're talking about your box, and Mehmet's like, you didn't open it. <laughs> And I was yeah. just like, Alice is getting befuddled. And he's like, I'm, he goes and breaks the fourth wall. And he's like, I was trying to throw the DM. And, and I what? Yes, that was it. Yes, just step out of play, man. Look, look. I was giving the DM a bone. I was going to let him open it. And what did he do? He let it, he let it get stolen. Yeah. Yes. And it does injure. I mean, I did eventually come up with a perfectly plausible reason as to why that had happened. We'd been rather busy. Yeah. So that was okay. Um, and I love that you think that, or that you're, you keep going on that Daryl stole it. And where's Well, Daryl may have stole it, yes. I'm going to become Daryl next in the next month anyway, so that's that's fine. Oh, you want to, you want to, disappears <laughs> and now you're playing, we're well, playing the Cobalt Daryl. Calidus is going on a few cruises that will conflict with uh, playing the game. So I was thinking maybe I should just play Daryl because if I'm not cruising, then I can be Daryl, who, who doesn't necessarily have to be there right. on any given day. But anyways, I mean, rolling everything back and talking, moving back to the whole business about experience points and for solving mysteries, absolutely. Well, for what in the campaign setting, what we tend to do or what I tend to do is reward you as a group. You've hit the next level. Yeah. I don't tend to you earn more or he earns less. I mean, there was, there was a thought once upon a time that people were late or missing sessions, then they don't make the level type thing whereas everybody else did i actually think but, that I, I i love the idea that if a person if you have a if you have a group of players and it's clear that one person is looking to solve the puzzle and the others are not even close to it and that person solved it yeah. love the idea that that person gets a pile of experience points and the others don't yeah and, and from the west marks because it is personal experience points yeah absolutely but then we come back to the question of do you still reward them when, in fact, they have an intelligence of six? Should they have been able to solve the problem? Now, I, I do, because I was just impressed that he solved the problem. But from a role-playing point of view, this is where the, the trickiness comes in. But at some point, as a DM, you got to remember, people are supposed to be having fun in this game. You can't be a, a stick in the mud. Or, the other know, thing, too, is if you're a good role-player and you have an intelligence of six and you play it, yeah. then... 
there's an opening for experience well, points anyway. If you are incredibly stupid, it's obvious that you know what the answer is. And I, I've been thinking about then that. You, I've then been, you turn around and say, oh, it's great role playing. It's fantastic. I, I've been thinking about this where I might just, for excellent role play in the session, I think I am going to start giving a reward for that as well. Because yeah, I, I, it is very hard. It, 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 I get the impression, looking at the players that are in West Marches, when you play with them, that the idea that they play to the capabilities of their of their the character, character. Yeah. doesn't seem to be happening. Everyone seems to be playing to the to, with with you know, intelligence scores that are twenties and strength scores that are twenties and yeah. doing things that they can't really do. Yeah, and I, and a lot of that is is because a lot of people come in from a video game mentality, and in a video game, you just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting whatever until you get the clue that you needed to solve the puzzle, or you just respawn, respawn, respawn. Yeah. So they come in with that mentality and they don't actually know how to role play. And so what I'm getting at, there's there was one character who had an intelligence of six, but he took a feat called the keen mind and the keen mind gave him a plus four. Sorry. He had an intelligence score of five. Keen mm-hmm. mind gave yeah. him a plus one to intelligence, which gave him an intelligence of six, but he was playing it from the point of that he was a savant or trying to. Yeah. And so it, there was a scenario where, <clears throat> I mean, he was playing, dumb and, and, and I can't hardly speak in the session, yeah. but then someone tried to do a detect thoughts on him and then they were able to have a regular conversation because he was doing detect thoughts. And the GM at the time was just like, oh, that, that's not right. You can't be actually a smart person because they put a detect thoughts on him. It became this whole thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting there like, all right, ignoring the detect thoughts stuff and just from the point of view of this guy wants to play, he rolled crap on intelligence and he's giving it his, his try. Should we be, everybody's been saying, don't penalize the players, don't penalize the players. We are, pe- but because you're saying he's not role-playing a six, you were penalizing him. It's, it's, it's an absolute, you know, catch 20, not catch 22. What do you call it? No, that? no, but it is, it is that contradiction, isn't it? It's that, that issue is that if he plays it with a six, that means he can't solve problems. Mm. Therefore, does he not get experience points? And this, I think, goes back to where you say, if you give people experience points for playing the role according to what their attributes yeah. are, then they don't get penalised, they get benefits. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that I would look at this and say that if I, if I was DMing and I had seen this player appear and consistently play this role of a six, knowing that this person clearly wants to have a much higher intelligence and looking at their other attributes and assuming that they didn't have 20s and everything else, if they were just an ordinary everyday or normal character, I would be tempted to give them something, yeah. a ring or something like that, that would give them an extra 17 bonus points for their intelligence to bring them up to a level where they could actually do... The problem is, is that... Get much more satisfaction out of playing the part because the only other option they've got is to die. Well, here, here's an interesting <clears throat> thing. Like These characters, they encountered a Lorelei, which is basically a very, very... It's like a siren like a mermaid siren that you know, some brings men to their death. So she is just drop-dead gorgeous. She's walking along the riverbank. And some of the guys, one guy's like, right from the beginning, he played himself as being binary. Neither female nor yeah. male. So when this siren was singing music and, it, and all of a sudden the men, the person who was on watch was actually female. Yeah. She did not get affected. But some of the men, while they're on watch, they failed their saves. And so they were mesmerized by the song, stood up and started walking towards where this person yeah. was. 
I mean, at the end of the day, she was pretty much had just a shift on. It's the middle of winter. Everybody else is wearing their cold weather clothes and she's just wearing a shift. And one character was smart enough that he went and looked at her body and he found a ring of cold resistance. Now, at the time, I had rolled, you roll on a random table for what are the things that are possible for them to discover in that session? Yep. And so as a GM, you don't know what you're going to roll. So it's like, I've got X amount of stuff and I've rolled, okay, I've rolled a temple. Okay, if I roll a temple, it's easy to throw these things in there somewhere in the yep. temple. But if you're just NPC encounters, random NPC encounters, well, does this person, be, is he carrying a hoard of treasure? Well, no, that makes no sense. Then you're just giving people stuff. So you want them to earn what they have. So one of the things was a ring of cold resistance. I had no thought, because when you roll up a Lorelei, I mean, they tend to be buck naked. Yep. Because it's a part of capturing the men. And so I was just like, well, this cold ring all of a sudden becomes really fitting for why this creature is buck naked yeah. in the middle of the winter. And so one character managed to do well in, on his investigation. So he found that. The problem is you want to reward this one person for doing excellence in role playing. And they find the item in session. You have to reward them out of session because in session, what ends up happening is if they're a good role player, they'll be like, yeah, you kind of deserve that more than me. Yeah, <laughs> so that's true. You, 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 you sit in there you're like, oh, this person, they're a thief. So let's make sure we give them, let's, let's give them like a, a masterwork thieves kit that gives them plus one to their, yeah. their skill checks on their thieves tools. And then they decide that they're going to give it to this other person. You're like, well, that failed. I think potentially having to reward after the, the well, rewarding this is, this is not, play, this is not I, a thing. Yeah. I, should, I think I'm going to start doing that. This is about the theoretical. What would make the whole game better? Yeah. And I, I am of the opinion that what would make the whole game better is that when we look at experience points, we change. We don't think of it just as being, I played my first session, I get to level two. Yeah. We look at it in terms of, yes, there are a multitude of different things that are important. Yep. There is the amount that you played. Yes, there's definitely there's something in there. There is what you have fought. There's what you've learned. There's the puzzles you've solved. Yep. There's how good you were at playing the role. Well, and, and there's and all of those should come into it. They, they should all come in. And, and this is the thing, like with Westmarch, is the paperwork behind that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I don't want to be sitting there and thinking. I, I I'd much rather like. You figured something out, there you go. You get 50 XP for that. Oh, you did excellent role play. You're going to get an extra 50 XP for yours. Yeah. But nothing else in terms of, oh, mechanically, blah, 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 given on the scales. I'm not going to think about that. But in our game, yes, you're right. In the campaign, I also realized that all of those things are factors in, in, in what level you guys are changed. And the recognition that you've got an overall objective. And to, to actually achieve that overall objective, doing it as level one basically would mean you guys are rolling 20s across the board all the time. Yeah. Which is statistically impossible. Yeah. Well, I guess there is a probability, but that, that's just so, okay. so minute. Okay. So you have to gain levels and allow that allow your modifiers to change so that you can roll better so that you can deal with these larger creatures in the end. So yeah. that's where I, I really came I came to the recognition is that while you guys were in the sanctuary, after that very first battle, I was just like, I was just shocked. I came to the conclusion that, wow, perhaps I should have altered that battle down so that you guys could have dealt with it better. But I, I started really, well, no, this sanctuary is like this. 
they have to be able to understand, can I take that on or not? And I'm sitting there like, okay, you guys are level two. I was like, well, in fact, to deal with these things, you guys will have to get up to a higher level. And I was like, well, how long have you been level two? And you know, this stuff came into look, factor, which... And when you look at that, what you just said, we in fact have just done exactly what you said. Yeah. We've looked at this and said, yeah, you've got to be smart enough to recognize that you can't fight that particular yeah, scenario was... at this point. We will go off and do other things and come back. And I did enjoy your role-playing with Elbrum about, I'm not going across that river again. I mean, it killed, I went in there and it killed me. I don't know how we're going to deal with this. And, and then or- Oraki and Elbrum were like, well, let's try to lure it out. And you're like, how are we going to lure it out? What are we going to do to lure it out? And I was sitting there thinking, what could you guys do to lure it out? And I have no idea. Yeah. My, my, as a GM, it would just be, for me, I know that it's in there. And let me hear what you guys are going to do. Would that work? Would that actually lure this creature out? But for me, and the, and the other issue that you've got is I just look at that and think that that creature is just too strong for us at this point in time. Yeah. And, and some of the mobs are not big, like the BBEGs, the big bad evil guy. Yeah. They're just NPCs. And all I know about them is when you look at the NPC inside the monster manual, it says here are their stats and here's a little bit of their history. And that's all I got about this. So for me, I'm just sitting there like, all right, knowing that it's history is blah, blah, blah. What can you guys say that makes enough sense that would want it to come out? Yeah. You know, and we know nothing about why it's there. Yeah. And, and given that the only thing that, and, and in that particular scenario that we're at, we're there to recover the idol. Yep. But we don't know the idol's there. And, and from everything that we can see, the idol's actually not even there anyway. It's gone. As far as we know, this the creature that we knocked on the head told us that the sister has it. Yep. So it's gone. I, I have to admit, though, too, what, one thing that I really loved with what you guys did, too, was that I was sitting there thinking about the dogs of Bastet and thinking about Abdul Haq as the leader and what's important to him. Like, okay, yes, money is important and stuff. He likes the money. But what else? At, at some point in my mind, it came down to, oh, yes, that, those clockwork mummies, he would be very interested in that. So he wants you know to bring the clockwork money up. Yeah. And then you guys threw the five calling cats in, and I was just like, oh, that was brilliant. Well, I mean, to me, to me, that was thing was about we want Onko to become the, the head of the department. He's the guy that's in charge. We just need to get him killed off. And if she doesn't have to kill him, that'd be great. See, now that's something and, interesting because you just told me something that I haven't heard in session that Onko wants to, you, you as players want Onko to become the head of the doc. Very interesting to hear that. I thought that. that came out. No, that hasn't come out. So you just told me something. <coughs> that, that okay, that must really have come out. I thought that came out in session where it was that, I thought you'd said at one stage, Onka couldn't beat him. Yes, that's truly, that, that's right. He was I, much I stronger than she was. She, he was stronger than she was. And I thought she had made a comment that if he was dead, she would be in charge. Uh, well, but anyway, this, this it, it does, session, it does, yes, it this, does present true. And, look, and the other thing too is that from our point of view, Everybody is unanimous in terms of the way that, that we play the game and that is that we want to win more of the powerful people to our side. Yeah. We want to be allied, allied with the people that have influence and control groups. We don't want to get into a scenario where we are going to fight the dogs of Bastet or anyone else yeah. for that matter. Yeah. And so to us, this is a, a puzzle game. Yeah. is how do you get them? And this was a great way of leveraging what we had to kill off Abdul and put her in place. Now, there's no guarantees, of course, yeah. that she's going to win 
you know, even if he dies, is she going to become second in command yeah. because there was Richard? Yeah. And well, we it, got the impression that Richard was a bit more powerful than her as well. Oh, did you? Interesting. That's well, interesting. because Richard, well, when she came back and there was the two of them, Richard was there and she was there. Yeah. And when you guys came out of the out of the sanctuary, yeah. Yeah, and there was they had a discussion. They had a yeah, there was a conversation, and in that conversation, yeah. Richard clearly made it made it abundantly clear to her that she would do what he said, right? And it was just in terms of the mannerisms of what was said and the fear that she displayed towards him. And that could either have been because he was, you know, he was going to go back and let Abdul know. So yeah. she may have been more powerful than him, but he had Abdul on the side. So you've got that alliance that's there. I have to admit, and I, if I, it comes down to a, a, a shit fight between the two of them, we do have to ask the question: Who's going to win? We'd like her to win, but there's the possibility that Richard could win, and we don't know anything about him. And again, it's back. She's been beat up. She's on our side. We're currently hiding her. Abdul dies tomorrow. I, I love these conversations because it gives me so much extra insight into how you guys have seen stuff. And it's just like, because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I painted this picture very clearly. And then you say something, I was like, okay, I can, uh, there's something here. I so can you're telling, you're telling me that we actually have got, got a completely cast no, out. I'm not going to say anything. Well, I mean, you can imply that because of what I just said. But anyways, I just, uh, I have to admit, this kind of insight from the player's point of view is such a beautiful thing to have as a GM because it allows you to, to tweak things, right? And well, again, this again, I mean, to me, one of the wonderful things about what we're doing with this podcast is that this is, to a certain extent, the why didn't you open the box? Yeah. When I tell you this kind of stuff, it is classic, why didn't you open the box? You get to open the box. You get to make it whatever it is that yep. you want to make it. Because within the, the game playing, yep. there isn't the time for this. You don't have to, you don't get time to have this conversation. Yep. And to, and to work your way through what, yep. what's going on. Yep. It's just like, yeah, we do that and we do it, but you don't necessarily get why we're doing what we're doing. Um, yep. You know, sending the, the calling cats back to Abdul, that's going to kill him off. Uh, it, was, it was brilliant. I, I loved it. And, yep. and in case the listeners don't know, the calling cats, I think there's nine or 13 of them. I can't remember off the top of my head. We've actually lost count. Yeah, we lost count. But they're, they, they tie up to one central one. They're all parts of one central one. And the, the mummies of the sanctuary, they've got the central one. And it allows them to know where any of the other nine yeah. or 13 are located. So it's, it's like a GPS, really. Yeah. One of them we know is, yeah. And so the, the chief sister of the mummies, the big, the grand... Kubar of the mummies knows where they all are and all the other ones. I'm sitting there thinking from the module point of view, what was supposed to happen was very linear. And what, I, I what, sat there. What and, did the module site was supposed to happen? Because well, you were, you were, you were going to have to deal with the, the, the mummies as well. So, so we, we were going to take, if we took them with us, then we would end up. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. But that some, because of some of the other interactions you've done, I saw, I, I started thinking about it. So when you guys were fighting the clockworks, one of the mummies popped her head up out of the sand and taunted you. You weren't there because you were there. But, and, and it was like, you know, come on, why don't you keep, keep coming a little bit further? But you guys were really damaged after that. And so you took off running after that yeah. she came out and had got the hell out of there. But then something happened between the time that taunting happened and the next time you guys went back in and they were no longer there. And that, that was because certain other things have, had happened and they left and I had fun trying to role play some way to get you guys to start thinking about what that meant. And the, the crippled gassed guy. Yeah. 
what is it? Oh, user and yeah. So <laughs> loser came in and wanted to commit suicide or wanted you guys to kill him. And, yeah. But he had, I had to, I was really waiting for you guys to ask certain things so that he could emote certain things. And, and I, it was fun because I can't remember. Did he, I don't think I had him speak to you guys in common. I think he was no, speaking no, to Orachi because he was, he only spoke Nurian. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then you guys coming up, you and Elbrum piping in while Oraki was trying to translate this. Was, yeah. It was good. But I, I mean, I've been enjoying the role play. And yes, I know that the sanctuary was just filled with a lot of fighting. And yeah. uh, there's a reason for it. That's what the module says. Yeah, I mean, more so than just module two. Like, I, I like to try to spin module. I mean, module provides you with maps, provides you with possible encounters, and provides you with some motivations and stuff like that for mm -hmm. the BBEGs. But then there's the overall arching story and how do you tie all of that, that in? And what does it mean? Like, is not just an independent thing that sits by itself. Like, the pool of blood. It yeah. could be something that's independent or... It could be something part of the main plotline. And why not? Why not, you know, make something more of some of these things? From, from a player point of view, so yeah. where we sit now, yeah. the pool of blood is clearly a major plotline, far more so than the pyramid. The pyramid is, 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 from our point of view, is inconsequential. And so the interesting the, thing the, for me... And, and the reason the pool of blood yes. is a major plotline right. is because we strongly suspect that in the... Right in the upper echelons of the yeah. management of this town, yeah. there is a big political power play going on. So we have the Grand Vizier, we have Lady Alashra, and all that lot yeah. uh, being seen in a place they've never been seen in before, yeah. us being asked to, ask to look at it. The fact that we've been told that Lady Alashra is getting flack from the others yeah. about something that, that they're getting blamed for clearly says right at the top level... Upper echelon, yeah, major thing going on. So you've got that, plus you've got this Tuscali thing going on, which is like the death of the whole city. So you've got these... You know, and I keep throwing them in. Yeah, I so keep throwing the Tuscali are coming to wipe out the city, and at the upper echelons, there's confusion reigning. Yeah. So from our point of view, the pyramid is, is just, yeah, okay, we're going to go and do the pyramid. And really, we're doing it just because we're on the way. It's not, it was, yeah, we're on the way, we're going there. So... I, I had to admit that when, when, when you broke character, you're like, why are we going here again? <laughs> yeah, because I thought we had this thing all nailed down. It's like, I thought we had this all nailed down. That's why that's, that was, we were going to the... I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit excited to see if you guys can figure out some of those things. Because it's, like I said, well, it's, it's good to hear would, some of the things think... because it tells me that, okay, so they've got some of this stuff figured out, but not, not everything. Yeah. I, I would think when you look at it from... from from the player point of view, not from the player point of view, but from the character point of view, the characters are clearly can have an inkling that there's something going on at the top yeah. level. Yeah. But do we have anyone that's powerful enough? Or, you know, when you yeah. think that like Mehmet is two levels of power above where we are, yeah. and we're not even sure who he answers to. Yeah. So you've got, I'm, I don't think that he would be answering to someone who's on the council. He'd be answering, you know, there'd be a couple more layers before that. And then you would get to the council. We are so far below that level of yep. meeting, understanding. Yeah. And, and, was... and again, we may not, we may, in the in terms of the story, there will be characters that we will meet that you will, that will evolve through this process. 
that we will be told, yes, you've heard of them. Yeah. And we've probably already heard of them, but they're not sort of in play at present. Yeah. But they'll come into play later on as we work our way up this sort of this yeah. food chain yeah. and get to know more people. Well, the they... fact that we got up to Mehmet, for example, is an example of us rising up the food chain. Yeah. He's heard of us. He knows who we are. Yep. And that's that's the fun bit too, because like I, I sit there, you know, I remember when I was thinking, oh God, the whole pallet court ball thing, because I, I knew that the pallet court likes to invite people. So I was just like, okay, well, we got to have a ball at some time. So the getting up to the ball and then me thinking, okay, what's going to happen at the ball? And so I had an idea of, of overall, what is Lady Alasher doing in this world? What's going on? And how might this, all of this be related to what the city wants and what's going on with the Tuscali invasion and stuff like that. So I see some of the upper level things that I want to happen. Yeah. But it's like, how do you discover this stuff? So when you guys went into the ball, to be honest, I knew you had to do something about the voluntary blood stuff, the blood contract. Yep. And everything else was just, okay, what are you guys doing? And so your conversation with Wen, that was a lot of fun for me. You know, what What would Wen know? And what would she admit being someone who attends these balls? Yeah, and when and, and really that whole plot point about the, the, the what's going on at the upper level yep. was something that I had suspected from something that had happened a few games ago. Yep. She just basically consolidated that by yep. saying, these people are never here. Yeah. I and I wouldn't be the Ahit, the relationship between Ahit and Lady Alasha. Mm. I doubt I, I look at that one and I wonder that could be a clincher for this game. If there is no one <laughs> well you see the thing about that is that if there's no one between Lady between Ahit and Lady Alasha, then isn't the issue going to be we're talking to to Ahit, she's one step removed from Lady Alasha. Therefore, it won't be long before we get to meet somebody who's on the council. Everybody else that's on the council, we're not close to. Yeah, that's yeah, true. We, are, we, are, we, we seem to be miles away from them. Yep, that's true. That's true. So that, that'll be an interesting episode. Well, and that's the thing too. Like, I, I, I mean, when you could quite easily throw in that there are five levels between Ali and Lady Ashford. And the thing is too is, I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at D and D five E, you've got level one, level twenty is being that high, and there's some yeah. there's some NPCs out there that can effectively go from a challenge rating twenty to a challenge rating thirty, and challenge rating thirties are like world changing types of creatures. Gods really aren't part of five E world. Really, you don't interact with gods. They shouldn't have any stats because yeah. if they've got stats, the players are going to want to fight them. And it's a god. It doesn't make sense. And I, I'm totally wholehearted on this. But to get up there, when you're getting up there, where are these people and what does that mean is important. And, and in the first game, when we first started out, at that point, I was, I had you meet Lady Alasha. I had, I think Jenny even met the high priestess Nefrini. Yeah, we did. And this time around, I was just like, they, they would they have peons doing their stuff. And there'd be levels of peons. Now, which is, I, which I is this is much, which yeah. is much better because yeah. if you if you in that context, yeah. this is like yes, you're a coal miner and you've been yeah. a queen yeah. uh, just because you happened to walk out of the mine at the right time yeah. and she was driving past in her car and, yeah. and like no, that never happens. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, it all and all and it all has to have the right time. Like the goddess, the queen goddess Meshkenet is when and where would you to be honest I love the fact that she didn't actually show that we suspect that she was there but can't prove it 
And when you look at it, we've only now seen the one member of the council. Yeah. We have no idea what the others look like. That's right. You've only met, and although in Discord, before our campaign started with this new group, I did have one of the Council of Sands standing and overlooking the refugee camp and, and just making some decisions and dialogues, but you've never actually met anyone. Yeah. And that's the first one you see is Vizier Panchar. And, 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 we don't get, and we don't get to talk to him. No. Or have any content. No. And, and, and I, I love how you wanted to, but I was just not. Well, it's the same thing when you're like in this last session, we need to get some hirelings who are going to do this. And at this point, I was just like, no, no I more hirelings. Because I was sitting there thinking, when you guys were in the sanctuary, Anka pulled your bacon out of the fire quite a yeah. bit. If she wasn't there, the whole clockwork mummies would have been a completely different encounter. Also in the mortuary? Yeah, that's true. In the in the mortuary as well. Yeah. When they, when with uh, oh god, what was her name now? Forget the one. She's dead now. The dead uh, one. If she hadn't been there, it would have been a different encounter. And so I started thinking. I was like, okay, that was very organic in how that happened. When it's organic, I'm going to let it go. But when it's so, for example, if I've dug myself into that hole, it's going to happen. You're going to have that person working with you. Because that's what happened. It, she was down there with you when he decided to fireball you. And if you get hit with a fireball, you're going to be pissed at that guy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, it, it made sense for me for him to send a fireball because he was going to get you all. And so there would have been a reaction. Mm. And the same thing. There is, there is a, but from a, from a game point of view, there is the imbalance that can occur now. And that is that we are not a strong party. You're missing and, certain things. Like yeah, you don't have that rogue element. So you got to sit there yeah. and realize without that disarm trap, what do you do? How do you go about that? And without a strong fighter, then we have no way of having someone take the heat for us. Every one of us. Well, you do now. Sabres yeah. are a strong fighter. Yeah. But it's quite easy for us to get knocked over because we don't have any strength to yeah. what we do. Yeah. So as the game progresses and as the modules throw up bigger and stronger characters, experience points are not going to get us across the line in terms of survival. Yeah. But that, that was one thing that I, I did say, like from my point of view as a GM, looking at you guys and wanting to talk to the Vizier or talk to Lady Alasha, there's no way that was going to happen. No. I wanted you guys to be able to see, but that was it. And, you know, when you were specifically asking, oh, we need some hirelings to help us go into the pyramid, no, that was not going to happen either. And it's interesting that when you put this in the, when you look at this in terms of climbing the ladder of success, when our aspirations were to be, you know, the camel trader for Khan yeah. and have his house. It's such a, that would have been seen as being a great step forward to have that much financial or influential control yeah. over what goes on. Just to I, I, I think that we've actually got to the stage where we don't actually care anymore about what we control, what we run, what we do. It's just that we do stuff. Well, it's really, really difficult to have the players set up a, set up an empire, like, yeah. taking over Hakan's business. Because for me, I'm just like, I, I guess that is a possibility. That's a possibility of gameplay that I'd never even considered. Let's establish ourselves as an economic power as quickly as possible and build this business up I so that, that we I, can... I think that our, our business model was one of guns for hire. Yeah. And I, but, think, and I think that that business model has failed because we are not strong enough to be guns for hire. You may be able to be uh, smart enough, but we're certainly not a bunch of a bunch of strong barbarians that can go in there and crush the rebellion. 
But a bunch and, of strong barbarians might not be. I know your analogy, but a bunch of strong barbarians might not be what you you need. And this is where you know, I, I, violence comes into yeah, play. Yeah, and I, I think the, the problem, like, I think the problem that we're faced with now is that the, we are short on the barbarians, but later on we might need them. We we're short on them now, and I think we it's it's like. In the early part of the game, I think that you need to have the well, strength. And if, the later part of the game, if, you need to have the smart. If the GM is is strictly focused on, all right, everything you're going to encounter requires strength, the GM's not doing a very good job. Because if the thing is, is all right, we're just going to have a party of five <laughs> barbarians. We're going to walk our way through this. Because that basically tells no, me this no, whole thing's going to yeah, be... I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that, that right now we are so under strength. I agree. Like as adventurers, you'd want to be, you'd want to have a bit of renown. It doesn't yeah. renown doesn't mean that you are level twenty or level ten. I, mean, no. I think that you know you guys taking out the Tuscali early on, and then you know walking through yeah. the town so people could see that. I mean, that's the stuff that starts giving you guys a name. And this is kind of why I was also kind of pushing the point of coming up with a name for you guys yourselves as well. Mm. I'm trying to do that in session. Although great company is. Names are always hard to come up with as well. Yeah, true yeah, enough. Write in viewers if you can suggest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Get the viewers to vote on a name for the company. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad idea. But still, I mean, at the end of the day, there was some good role play that got you guys to where you were. And I, I did like that you guys were trying to get extra assistance in there. But I was just like, if the assistance that comes is organic, it'll be organic. Yeah. And... What I did try to do, and I don't know if you guys caught this, and I'll probably give this away a bit, but after Onka helped you guys in the original Ground, Ground Sanctuary, there was that period where you guys left, and the next time you seen Onka, she was hurt. Yep. And although she didn't talk about it, I think Oraki picked up a few body language signals, which I let everybody hear so you guys can draw your own conclusions, but... She gave Elbrum something very specific because I, I recognize that you guys are lacking your robe. So I was sitting there thinking, okay, trying to be organic and true. Onka is not going to want to return because she went down there. She's not a thief. She doesn't have any no. skills as a thief. She was pretending and she's like, oh, okay, this is what's in the sanctuary. I'm not that interested in this. I've got my own problems to deal with, which is probably still too much of a giveaway. But so she stayed out and instead she provided you guys with something. And when Elbrum finally says, well, I'm going to tune to this and I could reveal what it was. He's like, oh, crepes, shit. This is something I could really, really use. It would be very helpful. And I was like trying to, yes, as a GM to give you organically some extra yeah. tools that will help that you, you be use. that balance to get you through some of these you things. Need to, you got Got a set of these tools or something? You got something? Yeah, it was a basically a masterwork set of these yeah. tools. So yeah. it basically just gave you a plus one to to using the these tools yeah. uh, when necessary. Yeah. So yeah, it was. We, a, can, and, we can only hope that that helps us yeah. on our way through. Yeah. And and the, the funny part was what I what I also added to that these tool was she she so she gave you these things because it, from my point of view I don't know if this is telling too much but she basically purchased these tools to give to you guys. And she knew that they were masterwork quality. Mm. Now, she didn't think anything else of it. When she gave it to you guys, you, because of your perception and your perception roll, passive perception, you wouldn't have been able to find it, but you no. roll high. So I was like, okay, Khaled has found this. He's looking at these two, so he found something in it. 
And I was waiting to see what is Kalidus going to do? And you didn't give it away. And I was just like, very well done. So you found the ring, but you didn't reveal to Onka that you'd found it. And then you gave it to him. Well, that ring as well would have really helped a lot with your thieving things that you need to do without having a thief. Yeah. So again, I was trying to really facilitate things so that you guys can still go forward. And that's having a, a wizard and a, a what is it? what is your problem? He's a warlock. Uh, yeah, he's a warlock. He's a warlock. Yeah. Yeah. You just sort of stuck and I'm like, there are two of us, two magic users. Yeah. And it's sort of like, yeah, you'd really like to only have one. When it comes to finding stuff, because we seem to be quite, we don't, we seem to be quite good at this. I definitely got the concept of you give to people the things that will help them. Yeah. So there's the the strength item, whatever that was. Oh, yeah, the iron stone that's floating around uh, yeah. Saber's bum. Oh, I did get to say that. Yeah, you guys gave it to Saber. Oh, so and that's he, it. And he tied it. They said that his soul stone, the being of who he is, is in his ass hatch. And yeah. so that's where the iron stones are going to float around his ass hatch. Oh, good. So that means that he will gain the strength. So his bonus. strength will get a bonus, yes. Yeah. So we're quite good at this idea of balancing out the party by yeah. giving the, the right items, the right right items to the right people. But you have to think, the thing with the warlock uh, compared to the wizard, wizard and clerics, they need a long rest to recover. Yeah. A warlock just needs a short rest. Yeah. And that's the beauty. So the warlock, warlock is always limited to like something like a couple of spell slots. So any of their level one, level two, they just get a couple of spell slots. So using their powerful spells, they're very, very limited in when they can do that. But they've got a crap ton. Well, not a crap ton, but they're allowed to have a lot of cantrips or do like ritual magic that, that yeah. is useful. But their power spells can only be done a couple of times, but they only need a short rest. Hmm. So, and then that's the thing too, is using those, using those abilities. When do you do short rest? When do you do a long rest? When's the right time? And I, I love that you guys too, when you're in a sanctuary, you're always like, all right, we're seriously hurt. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And I, I, I was happy to hear, because I was like, if you guys short rested inside the sanctuary, you guys would have died. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. as a GM, this is, this is like, okay, where is the right place? This place is a highly de deadly place. Could I have let you guys have this? No. I, 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 from a GM's point of view, I would, a short rest would have been... There was no place where inside there that was really a place where you guys could hold yourself up to have a short rest and not walk away without me. The next session is going to be interesting, though. Hello, good people of the interwebs. This episode is now done, dusted, and finished. I do hope you enjoyed it, and I'll be back in just one week.